Well, that was pretty easy to uh, get some applause already. I didn't even do anything other than walk up here, so that's good. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself a little bit. I, uh, my name is Joe Bubenek. I, uh, I'm an elder here, um, and I recently came over with the merger from the gate. So uh, if you don't know me or recognize me, that's, I'm pretty new here. Um, however, uh, my wife and my family, we were here for nine years for, uh, earlier before we went to the gate. So some of you probably know me. Uh, my, my parents have been here for, I don't know, a bazillion years. Uh, so maybe you know John and Nancy, but you know. I told, it's easy to get uh, applause here. I just have to say your name, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for being here. So uh, after my first time preaching at the gate, Pastor Kyle told me that funny people often revert to a serious tone when they are preaching. Uh, they're doing this because they're concerned that their humor will somehow negate the message of the gospel. I have some bad news for you guys. I am hilarious. <laughs> so you're about to sit through a scathing lecture, fire and brimstone, a destruction of everything you hold dear. My apologies. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, a passage of scripture here to get started. This is Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word and not leaving us here alone. Thank you for sending uh, your son to die for our sins. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that you can speak to us internally, Lord. Thank you for that. I pray that you would use me and I would be able to convey the message that you would have for your congregation today. Help me find joy in this while at the same time hide myself from this message and only be you. In your name, amen. You can be seated. In the year of our Lord, 1997, my parents decided to take me out of the small Lutheran private school that I had spent the majority of my elementary school career in and moved me to the magnet school system in the city of St. Louis. Their friends had been sending their daughter to a school called Carlane VPA. Carlane, while providing an education in the traditional scholastic subjects, also had a focus on the arts with robust band, choir, dance, and visual arts pro programs. You're big into the dance there? Good to hear. No, no? Oh, the choir. That makes more sense, Patrick. Uh, I don't know that my, I would say that my parents sheltered me. I'm not saying that. But I was at a loss for how to operate in this new setting. Uh, my understanding of the arts was limited to having a couple years of piano lessons, spending my fourth, grade, my fourth grade year in the choir at our Redeemer Lutheran School, and then my fifth and sixth grade years in the handbell choir. Uh, I will say that I have not retained any of the formal choir singing skills, hardly any of the piano lessons, but I do remember how to ring a bell like nobody's business. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just a little taste here. That's some resonance. It's all in the wrist. And yes, I did go and find a set of handbells only for this purpose. <laughs> You're very welcome. So even though I was a bell-ringing prodigy, the skill was not needed at Carlang. Uh, I don't remember if I chose it or if it was foisted upon me, but I found myself in band class that first week there at my new school. Mrs. Harrelson handed me a alto saxophone and sat me down in a row of other students who had the shiny brass woodwinds strapped around their necks. Uh, I remember thinking that everyone else seemed to know each other, uh, which made sense as they had all been there a year prior. Uh, everyone had a particular style, whereas I looked as though perhaps I had spent the previous years attending a small private Lutheran school. Uh, my wife insists that, like my younger brothers, I had a bowl cut, but I, I, I disagree. What I actually had was a very dense, poofy hair. It's, you can kind of see it now. Uh, I chose to part it down the middle. <clears throat> when I would brush it like that after a shower, it looked normal. However, once it dried, it lifted high atop my head, appearing as if I had a raised bowl cut. Uh, so yes, it may have appeared to have been a bowl cut, but I was adamant that I never let my mother give me a bowl cut. Uh, Nathan, if you would, I believe I have a picture. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you know what they say about not giving the appearance of a bowl cut, I mean uh, of evil. So I, I suppose it was close enough to a bowl cut. Uh, it was in my first week at this new school that a young lady approached me and ever so delicately asked aloud if I was a boy or girl. I know nowadays that that's not as big of a deal, but in 1997, a 12-year-old Joe Bubenick looked into her eyes, confused. I believe the seventh graders of 2022 would say that I was shook. Number one, how could she not tell my gender? Number two, why would she ask me aloud in front of so many other people? <laughs> Did this many of my fellow students truly wonder what I was packing chromosomally? I had never felt so misplaced as I had at that moment in my life. I did not fit in. Everyone else was a part of a group and their groups all formed the school. But not me. I wasn't really an outcast because no one really thought much of me. They didn't even think of me as a boy or a girl. But I didn't fit in with the students there. That was a rough thing to go through, uh, particularly in a time when it seems like most children feel like outcasts in middle school. But there's hope in today's passage. Verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ. <laughs> so that's going to take us right into point one. All are welcome in the kingdom of God. I know that as a seventh grader, I truly felt unwelcome, but that is not the case for the kingdom of God. We are all welcome despite our histories, despite our ethnicities, despite our income, our gender. 
if we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus declared in Matthew 4 that the kingdom of God, his kingdom, is at hand, like now already. We uh, saw in today's passage that if we are in Christ Jesus, the old identities that we saw ourselves no longer pertain to us. If Jesus is our king, we cannot hold tightly onto identities that can't possibly fully encompass who we are. Paul is telling us in this letter to the Galatians that we are no longer held to the law because we've been justified through Jesus' death and resurrection. While the law given to the Israelites made distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, and even male and female, those distinctions are no longer pertinent to our identity as children of God. There was a group at this time period called the Judaizers who felt that before anyone could come to the saving grace of Christ Jesus, they first had to hold to the Levitical laws of the Old Testament. It seems to me that they wanted to earn their grace rather than accept a supernatural gift that they could never attain. Tony mentioned last week um, when he was talking about agape love, sometimes we think that the grace we have been given would be even better if we had earned it. If we had shown that we deserve it. This is a little different than receiving love, but at the same time, I think that we like to... tell ourselves that we've earned grace because then we can deny other people that same grace. If only I and a select group of my friends are able to follow the guidelines we have, we have set forth, then we can keep all of the undesirables from the kingdom of God. But I'm guessing that one of the reasons our God has chosen to give us his reckless love, to graciously offer his son as a sacrifice for our sins so that we might be in his family for all eternity. Not because a select few who are all alike have earned it, but because he has chosen us to become alike in name and family. We're adopted into a family. Our names have been changed to sons and daughters of the king. If we have been called by the Lord, we cannot stand against his desire, no matter what we have done. And so because of this, as the kingdom of God is already at hand, here in our churches, everyone who is a son or daughter of the king is welcome here. If you have a brother or sister whom you dislike because of some way they are different from you, you need to understand that in Christ Jesus, we are all the same here. We have the gift of of all being accepted here and now before the final fulfillment of God's rescue plan for us as fallen creatures, before Jesus comes back and destroys sin and sickness and pain and death. We have this beautiful gift of beginning to work our faith out as new creations. We may all be different, but we are all clothed in Christ Jesus' righteousness, and therefore we are no different in his eyes for as how we are welcomed. So that's the end of my first point. Um, I am looking to become the most popular preacher here, so I'm just going to be done. Oh, gracious Father, thank you. I'm sorry, I lied. 
really, I, I want to be the, the pastor who has only two-point sermons, right? No, unfortunately, there's three. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, on to point two. The, the kingdom of God is diverse. So perhaps you're hearing that who you are is not important, that God is seeking to take all of the different people groups that he created and turn them into some kind of bland amalgamation. If there is no longer any separation between male and female, Greek and Jew, those identities are no longer important, right? I get the feeling that the good Lord leads us to live in tension in a lot of places with our faith. God is all loving, and yet he is a destroyer of evil. His victory over sin and death is complete, and yet we are still somehow living in the not yet of a fallen world. So too, we are all one family, one community, one church, whose true identity is that of children of God. But the scriptures tell us that our differences will all be present in heaven. I'm going to read several here. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. John also says in Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Yeah. Well, perhaps you get tired of hearing from the New Testament. How about in Daniel 7.14? And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That all sounds good in theory. But what does that mean here and now, in the already slash not yet? It means that if you are a child of God, you will hopefully be in a close relationship with someone or many someones who are wildly different from you. According to the passages we just read, there is no type of person who will not be represented in heaven. No type of person who will not be represented in heaven. I'm sure that many of you have heard the uh, old Sunday school verse, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Uh, quoting that, I'm realizing that uh, maybe some of that color language is not socially acceptable any longer. Uh, but the truth is still there that Jesus loves every human being in every shade of skin tone. On purpose. Every skin tone is going to be present in heaven. And again, we know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand by the very words of Jesus. So while our churches are currently limited by who lives nearby each specific local body, we do know that they can and should be made up of various types of people. I'd like to uh, share a quote from the book From Every Nation and Tribe, A Historian's Discovery of the Global Christian Story by Mark A. Knoll. Christianity has always been adapting to specific times, 
regions, and cultures, but with a recognizable measure of commonality where it appears. To understand that all expressions of Christianity represent both indigenization within local cultures and a potential critique of that culture is to grasp something extremely important about the unfolding of the, f- of the faith in history. It's a lot of big words. I had to take a minute after I read it. <laughs> but all that means is that a Christian community in India will look different than our com- community here in University City. A church in São Paulo, Brazil, will have cultural distinctives that make it different from a church in Barcelona, Spain. Or Barcelona, I'm not real sure. So then, if a church is made up of different types of people in one local congregation, there's going to be different expressions of Christianity in one place. And that congregation that has multiple types of people will have the blessing of being more like the heaven we read about in those passages early. We are blessed here because we don't all look like me or Aaron. Or, you know, I could start going on path, but that is a blessing. Uh, also, I do want to be clear that I'm not a super intelligent man who reads books written by Christian historians. Uh, I did, however, read an article written by Taylor Reynolds. I don't know if anybody remembers Taylor, but he attended here for several years while he was at Wash U. Uh, that's a mere orthodoxy that he wrote. Um, I just wanted to give him his due, because I'm not going to read a big book like that. But one sentence I can do. (laughs) So yes, red and yellow, black and white are part of the church. So too are people from different, um, from various ethnicities and cultures. But also poor people, homeless, people dying of AIDS, criminals, people who struggle with sexual promiscuity. Alcoholics. Here's a hard thing to fathom. There will be thieves in heaven. A thief was crucified next to Jesus, and Jesus told him, you're coming with me into paradise. There will be murderers in heaven. King David is there. And he's not going to be the only one. There's all kinds of terrible sin that humans have done, and there will be a representative from all of those, who have done all of those there. I don't want to take off, I could do a whole other sermon on that. But God's grace is sufficient to cover any sin. Listen to this, in Matthew 25, I'm going to read a long passage, I'm sorry. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shares about the final judgment that is to come. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats will be on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. 
I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. My wife, uh, Big Al, and I just went to the Kirk Franklin and Maverick City Music Concert (laughs) with a few of my friends. (laughs) Um, I enjoy the concert and I really enjoy their music, but I want to tell you about something that they do. They have been going into prisons and leading men and women who have been convicted of crimes in the worship of the Lord. You know why they're doing that? Because that's what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to go and visit people who are in prison. He does not say and go, uh, he does not say that we go and visit only believers in prison. He tells us to go to those in prison. He tells us to care for the needy. He tells us to welcome in the stranger. Jesus showed us by example to enter into the home of sinners. And you know what happens when believers in Jesus Christ go and enter into people's lives? They often become believers as well. Allegedly, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, became a believer when he was in prison. That makes me uncomfortable. Because he did not only murder, he did some gross stuff. I'm uncomfortable that God's grace is great enough to cover the level of, of sin. I'm uncomfortable that if Jeffrey Dahmer sincerely confessed that Jesus is Lord and believed in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he is a child of God like me. I do want to be clear that because someone has become saved, that does not remove them from the consequences of their sin, but it does include them in the church. And local churches need to make a place for them somehow. I don't even know where a prison is. And maybe we should all know where that is. So now we have talked about how our belief in Jesus Christ as Lord removes the importance of our distinctions while at the same time also celebrating what makes us different because God made us different while all being made in his image. So let's now talk about the fact that different people in close proximity are going to have conflict. So point three, there is going to be conflict in the kingdom while on earth. I'd like to start this off by sharing another quote. This is from a pastor in uh, Charleston, Philip Pinckney. He said that any genuine community, multi-ethnic or not, especially in multi-ethnic community, conflict is inevitable if we're doing it right. How many people in this sanctuary have ever been in a relationship with another human being? Can I see raise some hands? We're talking marriages, siblings, parents. I, um, not everybody's hands up. Come on. A best friend, coworkers. Come on. Everyone's hands should be raised because you've all been there. All right, keep them up. Keep them up. We've established that you all are in relationship. Now let's see a show of hands of how many people in here have never had a moment of conflict in any relationship. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I love my wife. 
we have a good marriage, um, and we enjoy being around each other. At least I do. Uh, I'm assuming you feel the same way. <laughs> I'm getting the head nod, everyone. We both enjoy spending time with each other. <laughs> Guess what, though? We have conflict <laughs> regularly. I know this is hard to believe, but I have said things to her without thinking how she might feel about them. I've made jokes that she found harmful. Early on in our marriage, I, uh, in an attempt to be flirty, I snapped her with a wet towel on the butt. She cried. <laughs> I felt like a little kid then, I'll be honest. Oh man, I am in trouble. Uh, it changed the outcome for what I was expecting later that evening, I'll tell you what. <laughs> But now I know better, so I can do better. I have never again snapped her with a towel or treated her in the manner that I might treat some of my male friends. I do want to warn you, if you're one of my male friends, I might be snapping you with a towel later. <clears throat> well, why am I saying this? Because as a person in a relationship with someone who is different from me, I need to acknowledge my wrongdoing when it occurs. I need to own that and to need to change how I behave. You may not know you have harmed somebody in our congregation until a long time later. You need to be prepared that while my intention was not to harm someone, they were hurt. Own that. Learn from it. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Bernie, uh, she's often up on stage here, and I had a conversation about punctuality and how it was important to me. Since then, she has made an incredible effort to be on time for events when we are doing things together. She valued me. She changed the way she was previously interacting with me. She said that because something was important to her brother, it was important to her, even if being punctual isn't really a thing she cares about. <laughs> she did it for me. And I know that is a simple little thing, but that has made me feel comfortable for years. I feel safe and cared for by Bernie. As you interact here in this church with people who are from a different background than you, you are going to cause some pain. You're going to assume that your way of doing things is the correct way. Or you're going to see that people value things that you don't care about, and you'll think to yourself, they are being silly. <laughs> They're childish. And maybe they are. Or maybe you're being a jerk. Or maybe you're both right in your own perspective. It's both okay that I value punctuality in social get-togethers, and it's really okay that perhaps for Bernie, it's not a big deal to show up later to the cookout. Really. Here's another thing. If we long for the kingdom of heaven that is made up of every tribe and tongue and nation, we are going to have to not assume that every time someone has caused you harm, that they are meaning to. 
Perhaps you're a younger black person and you have struck up an unlikely friendship with an older white person. Maybe one day they say a phrase or a term that you find offensive. You can immediately assume that they meant you harm and cancel them out of your life, or you can give them the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps they're, out, they're unaware that what they've said is offensive. I am not suggesting that you allow them to continue harming you. But I am asking you to let them know they harmed you. If we are doing community correctly, there will be conflict. People who are in close proximity to one another are going to step on each other's toes. If we're in each other's homes, we're going to spill a glass on the carpet. If we're in someone's life, we're going to offend them. And being in community is being close. Pastor Pinckney, from that quote I had up earlier, isn't saying that the purpose of community is to bring conflict to each other. No. He's saying that being in community is being up and close and personal with other people. So up and close and personal with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're going to fail and hurt someone at some point. You're going to be so close with them that you'll get something out of their fridge without asking. You'll be so close you're going to feel comfortable that you're going to make a mistake and you will hurt them. Community isn't meant to bring harm, but as imperfect beings, our community is going to be imperfect while we're still here on earth. We're imperfect beings, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds via the Holy Spirit. So then we benefit from being able to reconcile with one another. All right, well, that sounds good, but why bother being in community if I'm just going to be hurt? It's a good question. Uh, of course, we hear in the book of Hebrews to not give up meeting together, as some do, but to encourage one another. That's a pretty good reason. Proverbs 27:17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I think that is speaking about how God can use the pain of reconciliation to make us more like Christ. I think God uses the, the wounds of a friend to make us more like him. When two pieces of iron are grinding against one another, they're wearing away parts of each other. Another example is sandpaper and wood. The sandpaper wears away at the wood, even as the wood wears down the sandpaper. Both are being made into something different than they were before. I think that uh, while conflict and tension can be uncomfortable, reconciliation brings about a more in-depth relationship. Reconciliation allows us to forgive one another, and it also teaches us more about who we are and who the other person is. It helps, it helps us respect and love them better. It helps us to not snap them on the butt with a wet towel ever again. So we've come to it. That by Christ making us a new creation, we no longer have to find our place in identities that separate us. We're all welcome and needed in the church, in the kingdom of God. 
At the same exact time, we live in the tension that while we no longer live with inferior identities, we are still, indif- we are still different. And those differences were created by God, a master artist, creating billions and billions of unique creations, all still in his image. He is called the potter in the book of Isaiah. In Psalms, we are told that in our mother's womb, God knits us together, an artist working in the medium of flesh and blood and mind and spirit. And while we know that in the already of heaven, there will be no conflict, that is not true here on earth in the not yet. As each of us is a sinner, we will sin against those we are close to. But we want to be close as a family. A body works together best when all of the parts are close. The blood can flow continuously through them. A perfect closeness is not possible in the fallen world without a supernatural infusion of the Holy Spirit flowing through us and our community. We uh, just sang a couple of songs about the power of God and how he cannot be stopped. He desires his church to be one and he will give us the ability to live together like that if we are open to him being the king and not ourselves. Bryce and uh, Aaron recently taught a class here on a book called The Beautiful Community. On uh, page 29, the author, Erwin L. Ince Jr., says that his perfection has room for scars. Scars don't mean something is imperfect, just that there is a story. When Jesus ascended up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, he had scars on his hands, on his feet, and his side. And he was and is perfect. I encourage you to enter into in-depth community with the people here in our local church. You may experience conflict. But if you seek reconciliation, you're soon going to have closer brothers and sisters. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for creating this congregation here, Lord, made up of so many different types of people, and I hope more in the future, Lord. I want to have a community that looks like heaven. Thank you for giving us the ability to have that. Help us to submit to you and your values. Let us cling to your values and your power, Lord. In your name, amen. Hey, I'm Carlos Smith, and I'm the lead pastor at The Journey Hanley Road. If you're looking to learn more about The Journey Hanley Road and find ways to connect to the local church, let me encourage you to visit us in person at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, right across the street from U City High. Or you can check us out online at thejourney.org slash HR. I look forward to meeting you.